Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to play for you a very interesting conversation I had with Robin Knowles. Robin's primary expertise is in the area of computational fluid dynamics, CFD. What that means is that he uses software to model and simulate and predict how uh, fluids like air will interact with surfaces like the surface of a race car. So Robin's specialization is in the, um, I'm not quite sure whether to call it vertical or not, uh, it's, it's quite niche, but the, uh, let's say, vertical of uh, road vehicles, particularly uh, race cars. So I think you're going to find this conversation fascinating as Robin describes how he arrived at his specialization in race cars and what sort of expertise that's allowed him to develop and ultimately how he moves the needle for his clients with his expertise. Hope you enjoy. So Robin Knowles, welcome to the show. Hey, Philip. Nice to be here. Thanks for making the time. So, Robin, who are you and what do you do? I'm possibly a little bit different to some of the guests that you've had on before. I'm not a developer or anything like that. I specialize in, in aerodynamics, particularly vehicle aerodynamics. and uh, it, I help businesses that rely on their products' aero performance to get an edge on their competitors. Uh, nine times out of ten, I do that with some fairly hefty uh, computer simulation as opposed to track testing or, or going to a wind tunnel or something like that. And historically, that's been for, for people in competitive sports, sort of race cars, motorbikes, cycling, anything where you're going fast and the wind is slowing you down. Um, right. But lately, that's also been for co- other companies that make stuff like buses or trucks or drones, anywhere somebody can realize a competitive advantage in their market by being more performant in an aero sense. I, I stole a turn of phrase from, from your friend Jonathan Stark and tried to label them expensive airflow problems, but it, it never really stuck. Oh, that's too bad because that's, that's very uh, – I, I love, love how it sounds, but it's all about how your market receives it, isn't it, in the end? Yeah, absolutely. So here's a question that I wasn't planning on asking. Um, I saw your, your profile on, on LinkedIn somewhere along the way, and I said – Oh, there's a there's a podcast guest. I got to ask that guy if he'll be on the podcast. And you graciously said yes. I was thinking maybe. Well, I'm curious how you think of your specialization. Do you think of it more as horizontal, where primarily you're focused on optimization around aerodynamics, or do you think of it more as a vertical specialization, where you're focused on a market and the skill set that you happen to bring to them is is you know the aerodynamic modeling. How do, how do you think of it? Um, I think it probably is uh, a vertical specialization. And I say that because the um, the simulation software that I use, uh, the computer, computational fluid dynamics, to give it its proper name, uh-huh. we can simulate kind of any fluid flow, any type of fluid flow, blood flow, um, an aeroplane, mm-hmm. and anything in between. Okay. Um, so you could go after anything at all. Um, right. but for me, I feel like I bring the most value when I'm doing, um, a particular fairly narrow focus of ground vehicles or in particular, um, 
competitive sport um, where I can bring a little bit of um, other domain expertise as well to to complement the 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 CFD the computational fluid dynamics the simulation that I do um, there are plenty of people out there who can probably do better simulations than I can and there are plenty of people who know race cars and the like better than I do but I kind of in that Venn diagram that little sweet spot in the middle there is a um, a number of people for whom I can deliver quite a bit of value um, and shortcut we speak the same language um, ah. so we, we we get up to speed very quickly and then uh, get to get to brass tacks fairly quickly okay okay so just a couple of questions about what you just said so um, I'm going to sound so dumb when it comes to physics, but so uh, in terms of modeling for aerodynamics purposes, air, like air and other gases are considered a fluid or they can be modeled the same way as something like a liquid? They are, to all intents and purposes, the same. Yeah, okay. anything, that, anything that flows. Um, okay. There is some nuance there around some tricky stuff like um, blood flow and Tomato ketchup, for example, would be a tricky one to model. Um, okay, Re- really viscous stuff, in other words. Yeah, stuff that doesn't behave quite as you might expect it to. But in terms of uh, airflow and, and water flow and things like that, they're all they're all pretty similar. Okay, so from a, a specialization perspective, you said that you see yourself creating more value in a, a vertical where you have a common language and may. I realize as I do more of these interviews, certain things are obvious to me, but maybe not to the folks at home who are listening. So why do you think you have this ability to create more value in this vertical? Um, I think that – so I've I've been doing um, consulting around this um, for probably more than a decade now and not not – just for me when I've worked at previous previous companies and things like that. And what I learned pretty quickly was when you go armed with your specialist knowledge of, of the computer simulations and you go to a, a new client and you start saying, oh, well, we could do this or we could do that or let's look at this and perhaps we could change the shape of that and improve this, um, how quickly you sort of get with a good client how quickly you kind of get pulled up and they say no 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 um yeah we could do all that but this is what's important to us and the number of times we went to a new client and what was important to them was completely different to what we'd thought it had been going in um and it was uh a different they were looking at it from a completely different point of view and that's fine and you can deliver that every time and you can explore that by road mapping and that sort of thing and really getting to the heart of it so you can do that um but it quite often um takes up a a, a big chunk of the, the the engagement when you're working mm. with a client to 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 drill down to what's actually important, mm-hmm. whereas combining it with a, a another area of domain expertise, I kind of already know what's important to um, to those particular clients to say the the competitive sport, the race cars, or something like that. I already know more than likely what they're looking to do and achieve, and some of the constraints that they're working within. 
Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. That That's what I've always said is one of the, the advantages that does not happen right away, but as you become more familiar with the domain of that vertical, it starts to become a real advantage. It's, I mean, would you hazard to guess some numbers around that? Like how much longer or more expensive might a project be if you lacked that that head start that you're talking about? I uh, quite often the 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 projects are fairly can be fairly time critical. People are up against the deadline either maybe to to, to, to for example in a race car to get the car finished and, and out. Mm-hmm. The 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 race isn't moving, so that that's a hard stop. We've right. got to be done and finished and they've got to get the thing made and, and all the rest of it. Um so the 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 timescales are usually quite compressed. So um it can easily make the difference between um getting to the point of delivering something useful and getting to the point where you just you're just getting going and then you've got to stop. Right. And okay, Ryle, so that really because, can be significant. Go ahead. Yeah, and and to, from their point of view, um, things like manufacturing deadlines don't move. So if we're just getting to the point where it's getting interesting, and they've got to stop and go and get it made, it it, it can leave a kind of uh, sort of slightly sour taste, if you know what I mean. They they've they've glimpsed what they could have, but they can't have it because you were too slow. Right. Okay. So there's a sort of customer experience element that gets better as well. Yeah, I mean, I am all about trying to sort of get people to cultivate a relationship where we're we're working together over a long period of time on on, on many different projects. Um, And we we, we quite often when you're evolving something like a a race car or a competitive bike or something like that, you're kind of chipping away at at different areas. You get different opportunities to do different things. And uh, all all those over a long period come together to be a a big improvement. But quite often each individual um, project may only yield a small gain um, but as long as you're going in the right direction every time and people are getting timely, useful um, results, then then they're, they're pretty happy in mm. the main. So you mentioned competitive advantage, which makes me wonder if client A in, you know, in, in the vertical where you're working would want you to not work with their competitors does, does that ever come up, those sort of, um, you know, non-conflict-of-interest uh, type concerns? Yeah, that, all the time. That is um, almost expected, particularly within um, any of the competitive sports. They would – most clients would expect that you are not actively um, looking for somebody in the – so, for example, in a, in a race car scenario, a client would expect that you're not working with somebody within the same formula – um, if you, it doesn't mean that you can't go and do other race car stuff. Um, you can even do stuff perhaps with the same formula in another country. Um, just somebody that they're not going to line up on the grid next to. Interesting. Okay. So I was curious how you manage that. It's, I, I'm guessing there's enough diversity within how you've defined the vertical where you work that it, it, it means it's not a problem for you, but, but how do you manage that? Um, I mean, it can it can be a problem. So um, I recently had uh, an issue where I've kind of been tied up 
with a client that the, the project never came to fruition um, through one reason or another, but it, it has meant that I've essentially missed the boat on that Mm. Um, that formula for the rest of the season because it's not going to be particularly it's not going to be as useful now as it would have been when they were building the cars back at the start of the year um, so in terms of how do I manage it occasionally not very well um, <laughs> but um, in terms of the a lot of what I do is kind of delivered remotely I mm. don't go on site very often um, so I can serve a sort of worldwide uh, audience where so if i've got a, a for example a, a touring car project in this country or a, a, a saloon car racing there's no reason why i can't go and do that in another country or repeat as, as many countries as you can find that uh, that sort of thing works for right. um, and they're kind of governed by similar rules and, and what have you and a lot of it a lot of it transfers how do your clients find you? Much to my um, disgust. No, no, that's, that's too <laughs> strong. But uh, it's it's all it's all network and, and word of mouth and referrals. And it, as you can probably guess, it's a relatively small world, and um, people move around a lot. And you sort of tend to track around with the people and uh, and and companies and things like that. And um, yeah, there's a lot of reputation management, if you like. So right. uh, if you uh, if you muddy the pool, then uh, everybody will hear about it, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That, I mean, and for the folks at home, that's that's quite common. Even if you don't try to make it be that way, it's quite common when you have a vertical focus that uh, referrals and word of mouth will be a more perhaps more than you expected uh, a component of your your business development it doesn't have to be exclusively that but it's it's often a very strong part of how you get business just because all those people kind of know each other or if they leave job a they go to job b at a similar type of company which happens to be in the same vertical so yeah, I, absolutely I'm not surprised to hear that how did you in the first place end up with this type of specialization is it was it something that you said that's what i want to do i'm going to figure out how to do it or did you just kind of wind up here or something in between um so i think there's this kind of two aspects to that there's one if i rewind a good number of years i've been around race cars and, and competitive sport for longer than i've been doing the the simulation and I ended up getting into the simulation side of things when I left university and applied for a job. And one of the race car manufacturers that I applied to said, we don't have any jobs, uh, but how about you go and do this PhD that we're funding? So I went off and did the, the PhD and that's how I got into the, the simulation. So I got a race car background and then I've got the simulation background and ended up working in, in Formula One for a couple of years. And those two sort of things sat very nicely together. Um, right. And then going out into the broader world of, of consulting around this sort of thing, um, as I say, it was it's possible to do almost anything and over the years kind of got exposed to doing um, simulation projects in different areas, different industries, different applications. And I'll be absolutely honest, 
it's where I'm working now is kind of my comfy place. It's my low stress point. Every time I get a prospect that is outside that, I'm thinking, oh, what don't I know? Um, this is maybe all the different ways it can go wrong, all the rest of it. When I'm sat with a, a race car project or a, a new bike or something like that, I kind of know where it's going. And it's, 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 I feel under control, if you know what I mean. It's my happy place. Yeah, right. Well, it sounds like you're on Jonathan Stark's email list. He recently uh, sent, oh, really? a, sent an email. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you are. But he recently sent an email where he said, uh, just, I, I spoke with him yesterday in an interview for this podcast. He was referencing this email and he said, I think very wisely, why would you charge less for work that you enjoy? That's the work you should charge more for so that you can so that that can be the more profitable work and you can get to do work that you enjoy and is more profitable. I'm not expressing it as elegantly as he did, but uh, <laughs> it strikes me that that's what you're talking about here. Uh, there's no, there's no shame in the fact that the work that is comfortable for you is also your primary business. Like that seems very sensible to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of went through a period and I still go back there when it's uh, it's not going quite as well as as it might be um, to a sort of scarcity mindset where um, I, I've got to take every bit of work that I could possibly find and I've got to go I've got to go and look in this new this new area in case there's something over here that I've mm-hmm. not I've not tapped and it's really going to be really lucrative and things like that and I don't know whether it's a combination of of my background or or like you say, the kind of thing that uh, where you deliver your best work. But I, I've always found that um, it to to not be a, a useful way of of going out looking for work. It's sort of an, an abundant an abundance mindset is kind of a, a, a much better mindset to cultivate and a nicer place to be. Um, it, it might appear that there aren't that many people in this in this vertical but uh, there's more people in there that i can serve i was going to ask how many competitors you have i want to get to that in a minute i have noticed with myself that if i let some element of scarcity creep into some corner of my life even if it's unrelated to my work for example if i if i start to tell myself the story that i just don't have enough time in the day to get things done, whether that's true or not, that's the story I'm telling myself. I will, uh, and and if I believe it, then I'll start to see scarcity show up in other areas too. <laughs> and oh yeah, I, I I don't know. Do you notice that as well? Do you, is that how it works for you, or is it different? Um, no, it, it is along those lines. That coupled with the the whole um, relating it back to a kind of. A, being responsible for your own financial outcome that, well, I really need to go and, and get these, these high profile contracts that are, that are hiding, um, in this other vertical that I've not explored yet that right. whether they are or they aren't, I, I don't know. Right. I, uh, I'm also probably quite bad at, um, I try not to take too much notice of what other people are doing because otherwise I will put all my effort into, well, that's that's the reason that mine that mine isn't as good as it could be because I'm not doing this thing um, mm-hmm. without without all the information if you know what I mean. 
Right. Yeah. Comparing your inside to somebody else's outside. Absolutely. Kind of an Instagram type thing. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the, the vertical that you're in, I, I have no idea. Like normally I'm talking to software developers, so I have a sort of sense of how big the, the world is that they're operating in. And you're someone who's uh, a, a bit outside that world. So, you know, how how many clients are out there or, or prospective clients and are, are there competitors, people who do exactly what you do for the same vertical? There are. Um, and one thing that's changed within our partic- my particular industry is that um, I, I kind of do this as a solo gig. So mm-hmm. I, uh, it's just me. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any hardware. Everything's done in the cloud, that that sort of thing. Right. This this business model um, wasn't possible. Not just I hadn't done it. It, it, it. Nobody'd done it. It wasn't really possible to be a kind of, I don't like to use the term freelancer, but it, it's not possible to, to be a kind of sort of solo consultant in this area. You needed too many resources you needed the computers you needed the guy running the computers you needed um, the to pay up front for the big license fees which has kind of gone away with open source versions of of code and things like that so there aren't too many people doing it necessarily the way i do it but there are plenty of other bigger agencies um doing the same thing in the same in the same field and one of the things that's a little i mean it's it's a fairly small family, so pretty much everybody knows everybody. If you haven't worked for them, you probably um, bumped into them somewhere. Um, but it's it's due to that sort of competitive aspect, competitive nature of the the clients. The clients don't tend to talk about what they're doing and who they're doing it with. Um, mm-hmm. I have some idea of what's going on where and things like that. So um, it isn't something that you can easily see from the outside you it's a sort of grapevine type affair where you you catch wind of who's doing what interesting so if you had to guess how many uh like companies out there could could potentially be a client for you of course not at the same time but just the total size of that group oh many many more than i can handle hundreds and hundreds no doubt Um, absolutely. Depending on what we were doing. I, I, just because I, uh, I'm a glutton for this sort of thing. I narrow it. I tend to narrow it down even slightly further, um, to, to customers who can make things. And and that, that's important because I'm doing a lot of simulation. So it's all existing virtually. If a client can't actually make the thing that we come up with at the end, he can't effect that change, then it becomes a science project and he can't um, realize what that gain that we've just achieved. So companies who don't make things or can't um, have them made or can't manage that manufacturing process um, don't do well from doing this kind of simulation work that we do um, or that I do. I see. Um, so they need to be able to fairly rapidly uh, perhaps redesign and manufacture or at least prototype something for, for what you do to really be as valuable as possible. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's it's often been something I've thought of. Uh, is that kind of a value add that you could you could go out into and and and, and help them make these things, or have a network of people who could help them make these things? But they're they're fairly. It can be fairly diverse. Um, yeah. So, are there people who operate in a more generalist way, where they have the skill set that you have with uh, the you know the fluid modeling? but they would just work for any kind of company? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, Absolutely. And that that is, I would contend that that's the norm within the industry. Um, Okay. So I I also do a a podcast and I talk to people within the, uh, the, the industry, within the sort of the simulation industry. Um, people making the software, that sort of thing. And I f- very infrequently come across somebody who will say, yes, we do this. Um, when you ask them what they do, they'll, we can do this or we can do that or we can do, we can serve these people, we can do power generation, we can do heat transfer, we can do chemical, we can do combustion, we can do all of these things. And you think, well, wow, how do you ever find any clients? <laughs> Okay, if so, you can do everything for everybody, I, I, I don't know how that works, but I think it still works around a network. It just probably yeah. they know a broader broader selection of people, perhaps. Sure. Okay, so that's exactly the the case with software development. It, it's a bit rare that you find uh, people who have specialized. The ones who have usually have nothing but good things to say about it. But it's less common, uh, I think, in the world of, let's say, medicine or uh, law or accounting. You might have uh, upwards to 30, 30 or 40 percent of those practitioners are specialized in some ways in those professions. Whereas I think, you know, in yours, it sounds like certainly in software development, it's much less common for, for folks to be specialized. So what kinds of things you hinted at this earlier what kinds of things do you know when you work with someone in your vertical that a generalist would have to learn the hard way or sort of learn on the job? So, uh, I mean, perhaps one of the things that, that comes to mind with the with the computer simulations, you need to sort of get your head around the fact that it's always wrong. It, th- there's some aspect of it. There's mm. so many assumptions that get made along the along the route that. Mm to some level of fidelity, the answer is wrong. Uh-huh. However, there is a point where the answer is good enough. Um, and knowing what's good enough is kind of the the difference between somebody who can be theoretically and exceptionally good at the simulation side of it. They could probably write one. They know what's going on under the hood. And then the people who can use it effectively are the people who know what's good enough um where can we stop um and the next part of it is right we've done our simulation and we've got our answer and then being able to translate that into what should you do next um because the end goal (coughs) excuse me the end goal is not to produce a simulation the end goal is to produce a faster car or to give some more fuel economy to your bus or your coach or, or whatever and being able to translate from the result of a simulation into 
what you should make or what you should do or how you can change something within your constraints is where the kind of that domain expertise comes in and where somebody who is perhaps more focused on the the actual tool and, and excelling in the use of the producing a, a high fidelity simulation and, and getting the answer right they're kind of missing the point to some extent uh, and and if your project degenerates into a, a science project generally customers are not very happy about that that is really interesting yeah you know to kind of map that into the world of software development there's there are are situations where you know, a piece of software has to be beautiful. And then there's Craigslist, which, um, it, does Craigslist exist in uh, in the UK? It doesn't, but I know what it is. Okay. It's been massively successful despite, despite having this hideous user interface. <laughs> <laughs> At least aesthetically, it's hideous. Or, you know, a lot of designers would say it's that. And to me, that's sort of what you're saying is, you have a tacit knowledge about when to stop uh, gold plating this simulation because it's good enough, and it, it from a functional perspective, it gets the job done. How how long did it take you to get over the main part of that learning curve for for that particular uh, level of expertise that you have? Um, I would say that was probably the there's probably a few years in that. Right. Um, and some of that was probably shortcut by working with this is probably some of the years that I spent working in in larger consulting groups or some of the time in Formula One where you're working with guys who unfortunately it usually is guys but you're working with with a team that um, have got that experience already and they uh, so you'll be you'll be let loose as a junior to do this and and They'll pull, they'll pull you up when you're uh, just like you say gold plating it. What what yeah. are you doing that for? <laughs> okay, so you had a sort of casual apprenticeship that helped. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So um, let's let's wrap up with this last question. Um, I assume there are times where your knowledge of this vertical kind of is surprising to clients or you tell them something that where they're just kind of surprised and you're right and they're they're wrong maybe like does that happen from time to time yeah it, it does happen occasionally yeah you have to be a little bit sensitive around that as sure. in the uh, um no you really don't want to do that um but uh yeah that that it does happen occasionally you can it, usually play it out Right. Yeah. What does that look like in practice? Like what are it? Maybe there's a, a particular story you could tell without sharing client name or anything sensitive that where that you think of when you think of just sort of surprising your not your clients with your insight into their world. Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. I know I'm the, putting um, you on the spot here. <laughs> usually the, the red flag that something like that is coming is when clients sort of i'm going to dodge the question a little bit but it's kind of when clients sort of step into my world a little bit and start the whole thing of uh, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing and, and uh, have you tr have you tried this uh, um, and, and then we have to have the the conversation of of 
why we haven't tried that because this is why that won't work or or the 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 quite painful ones sometimes are that they actually go back to a sort of misunderstanding of the the physics or the fluids that are underlying it so so why don't we do why don't we try this okay it doesn't fluid flow doesn't work like that um mm-hmm. and, and i'll i'll try and explain it to you um mm-hmm. and if if we can't if i can't explain it to you then then i'll i'll simulate it and then we'll show you why it, it doesn't work and usually you can do those sort of things fairly fairly quickly okay um so so it sort of comes down to educating them on the fly about what is and isn't possible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the uh, what is and isn't possible is uh, is one aspect of it, and just yeah, what isn't isn't a good idea is uh, <laughs> is, is the other one. Right. Okay. Well, Robin, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to share what it's like to be the kind of expert that you are, where can listeners go to find out more about what you do, get in contact, that kind of thing? I would say that um, LinkedIn would probably be the best place for me. I'm um, reasonably active on there and uh, happy to uh, accept any connections or anything, especially if they mention the podcast. Great. Okay. So you're... I'll I'll give you the link. Great. Yeah. We'll we'll stick that in the show notes. Um, because that's, I think, not going to be a super memorable link. But you're, you're Robin, Robin Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Yeah. I got, I got that right, yeah? Okay. That's right. <laughs> Robin, thank you again for uh, being on the show. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. No worries. Thank you, Philip. I hope it wasn't too uh, too far out of the listener's comfort zone. I well, I think that's part of why they're here, is to be challenged or, or to hear stories that are outside their world because they can sort of see something of themselves in them more clearly than if it's a peer. So anyway, um, thanks again, Robin. No worries. Thank you, Phil.